Do you know why it's important to eat seasonally? Are you interested in learning more about food security? Do you want to contribute to your community more? Do you love the idea of healthy local food being accessible to everyone? In today's episode on Root Awakening, a health podcast, we are talking with Alita Kelly. Alita is the founder of the Southeast Market in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She is the chair of the Boston Square Business Association and the vice chair of the City of Grand Rapids Urban Agriculture Committee. The Southeast Market's mission is to increase access to healthy, affordable, and culturally accepted food for their communities through a sustainable and equitable lens. And the Southeast Market sources food first from Black, Brown, Indigenous, local or women-led farms and businesses. And Alita ensures that the market supports sustainable businesses whenever possible. So you've already figured it out. This is a spectacular market. It's beautiful. Alita is growing just an amazing community around this market. She is going above and beyond to really start a whole movement around food accessibility and sharing and really connective community building and environmental awareness. Super important stuff here. So in this episode, Alita tells us about how Southeast Market gives back to the community, supports local businesses, and makes healthy food so much more accessible. Alita tells us about what an equitable and sustainable food system looks like, why healthy food is still not accessible to many communities, why farm-to-table eating often misses people of color, why food justice is so important and how contributing to food justice feeds our souls and helps us all to thrive, why land is a pressing issue for the farming community, what radical sharing is, what an intentional community is, and how radical sharing and intentional community intertwine, and what sustainable business actually looks like. Folks, supporting small farms, supporting businesses that are Black-led, Brown-led, Indigenous-led, women-led, local-led is so important if we want to thrive on this earth. It is so, so important to contribute to our communities. We have to stick together if we want to be truly happy, truly fulfilled in life. And Alita teaches us so many ways to stick together and to support each other in this episode. I learned so much during this conversation, and I know you will too. This is Root Awakening, a health podcast. My name is Emily Kosick. I am the CEO of Root Awakening and an intuitive health coach. I help you hear what the universe wants to tell you about how to heal. You can follow me on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening. Root is spelled R-O-O-T. Say hi. Tell me what you think about this episode. Tell me what you think about the podcast. I am always so happy to connect with you and answer any questions that you may have, any thoughts that you may have, any feedback that you may have. Bring it all to me. I'm happy to have a conversation with you. And I serve my clients through intuitive body readings. So my intuitive body readings are one-to-one sessions over Zoom where I use my third eye to read your body and will listen to what the universe or source or God or spirit, whatever you want to call it, wants me to communicate to you about what you need to know in order to heal and what you need to do in order to start truly enjoying your life in a fulfilling way. I also help my clients find and strengthen romantic relationships, intimacy with themselves, and spiritual sensuality through these readings. My guides give me all of the information in my client's sessions, so these readings are 100% channeled and 100% spirit, and you can book 30 or 60-minute readings with me. Head to the link in my bio on Instagram to do this at emilys.rootawakening. Okay, let's get into this interview with Alita Kelly, founder of the Southeast Market in Grand Rapids, Michigan, chair of the Boston Square Business Association, and vice chair of the City of Grand Rapids Urban Agriculture Committee. Okay, everybody, get ready for a brain and soul opening episode today. Folks, I have Alita Kelly with me today, and I am so excited to start this conversation with her. Alita is the founder of the Southeast Market in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She is the chair of the Boston Square Business Association and the vice chair of the City of Grand Rapids Urban Agriculture Committee. 
And the Southeast Market's mission is to increase access to healthy, affordable, and culturally accepted food for their community through a sustainable and equitable lens. So the Southeast Market sources food first from Black and Brown and Indigenous, local or women-led farms and businesses, and Alita ensures that the market supports sustainable businesses as well whenever possible. Folks, making healthy food accessible to everyone is essential if we want to have a healthy future as a human race. Healthy food is not easily accessible for everyone, and Alita has created literally a movement to change that. So making healthy food more accessible, making local food more accessible, championing local independent businesses, championing BIPOC, women-led farms, and Businesses is absolutely essential if we want to really create a community together and thrive together. And that type of community that supports each other, that stands up for each other, is what Alita has created with the Southeast Market. So, Alita, it is such an honor to have you here. Welcome to Root Awakening, a health podcast. Thank you so much. What an introduction. <laughs> I'm so honored for having me here. Absolutely. Yay, me too. Me too. Alita and I have chatted a little bit at the market. As soon as I heard, I heard from my really good friend Nakshal that this market exists. And I headed in as soon as I could. And the vibe in there is just amazing. We were able to start so many conversations so easily. And that's just what we want in our community. So I'm really excited to get into all these topics, Alita. And would we first like to start talking about how and why you decided to found Southeast Market and perhaps a little bit about your story as well. Totally. So when I was 20 years old, I got pregnant with my daughter, Willow. And before that, I had no concept of healthy food, regenerative farming, anything like that. And so I didn't have access to healthy food and that led me into having some dietary related illness, which led me into having a high risk pregnancy. And so coming out of what was a near death experience in childbirth, I decided to reckon with my responsibility and role as someone that needed to stay alive for a tiny human and how I was going to empower her to live a better life than I was currently. And so what we would do is we'd go to the farmer's market. I would wheel her stroller to the farmer's market, talk to farmers. I learned about the importance of seasonality and how the nutrients in the food, like just picking the food at the right time is the best way for you to get highly nutritious food. And that's good for your child and good for your energy so that you can be a parent, all of these things. And I, my mind was blown. Mm -hmm. And so that really like catapulted me into a different direction into the food realm. And so I went on to enter a dietetics program and I was managing nutrition programs during that time. One at Access of West Michigan for people that struggle with chronic illness, chronic dietary related illness and are financially challenged. So we would get them specific foods to support them on their health journey through food pantries. After that, I went to Dave St. John's home. I ran their nutrition program for three years and that was feeding about 120 people at every meal, every day, 365. So, I got some context on how to navigate the logistics of feeding that many people. And so all of those experiences were huge and, and so beneficial to how we're able to operate the market. So I don't have experience in grocery specifically, but all of these experiences have led me to this, this uh, space. And during that time when I was managing nutrition programs, learning about food justice too, food access, realizing that I myself, even though I was educated and committed to eating well, I was food insecure because I didn't have a space that I could walk to because that's really what food security means is no matter what, where you are, you have access on foot to affordable, healthy food. And that I really see that as a right that all people deserve to have because it's required for our our life and our species and you know like it's it's just so important so 
I started to think about like, what are the tangible ways that we can support food security? And it just seemed obvious that you put affordable food where people are that need food. It was just like no brainer, right? But of course it's, it's much harder to do that, especially for a small business, a female-led business, a Black-owned business. There's so many barriers to that. And even though there were so many barriers, I still decided to take the leap and, and go for it. So I had been kind of manifesting the idea of this, this market for years, for about five years. But I had decided that I was going to switch my tract from dietetics and move into environmental science. So I could really learn about the other piece of food because there's the health piece, but then there's how the food affects our environment. And so I got a full ride to U of M, just finished my program last year in environmental science and sustainable business. And then after that, I felt prepared to really take the leap for the market. And it was amidst COVID. We were, you know, in the, the threshold of, of COVID at that time. And a lot of people were um, having these new ideas about like food and food security and just the stability of our current system, because we were seeing a lot of stores running out of food. People were hoarding food. And so I thought it was a great, it was really a great opportunity to say, hey, there's a different way. You know, because local food systems weren't really hurt by COVID. Local like meat producers, they, because they operate on a smaller scale, they weren't as susceptible to like large meat packing facilities who were rampant with COVID. So I think that the system, it, it went to show like small systems, smaller systems are stronger in so many ways and it was just a great time for us to share this vision and really move forward with Southeast market. So that's really how we got here. Oh my gosh. So cool. I love like all of these different topics. I'm so ready to talk about all of them. First of all, I love how you explain how seasonal produce is so important because of the nutrients that like the, the, the amount of nutrients that are available to us mm-hmm. is so much more bioavailable and just there's more nutrients in the food when it's seasonal. And that's something that we don't even hear that much about Mm -hmm. for the amount of times we hear about like local seasonal food. We hear local and seasonal seasonal all the time, but not really why it's that necessary. First of all, that's awesome. And second of all, I know that we really want to get into food access here. And you made amazing points about how the healthy food needs to be accessible to people on foot. And I think it's really easy for a lot of people to say, well, there are grocery stores everywhere. Why can't everyone just access them? Not everybody has a car. Not everybody. A lot of people are traveling by foot. Mm -hmm. So to start out here, like to kind of expand on that idea, can we talk about what an equitable and sustainable food system looks like and how it compares to the typical food systems we have in our society. Because we know if we, if, if you start looking into this, you realize that there are so many areas that do not have accessible, healthy food currently. Yep. So what does a sustainable and equitable food system look like? Yeah. Okay. So the the equitable piece, it covers a lot of different um, aspects of of the food system. One, when we were just talking about like on foot, that means that everybody has the ability to get to this food. That's equity as well. We're in Boston Square neighborhood. 20% of the people in our area don't have access to a vehicle. And then we're not even, you know, touching on the people that are homebound, for example, who, you know, even if they were within a mile of the store, like they're still going to need support. So that's why we thought it was really important for us to have this delivery service at Southeast Market. And so we have free delivery within the 49507 zip code, which if you're looking at social determinants of health, zip codes can say a lot of things about um, who has access and who doesn't. And so there's some really staggering uh, statistics around 49507. And so we, it's also one of the most diverse spaces in Grand Rapids. And so we really want to support them in this way. Uh, So that's one way that we're looking at how to be 
how to tackle food access from an equitable standpoint. Additionally, there's a lot of, there's the movement of like farm to table and, and all of that. A lot of times it, it misses people of color in, in that uh, sphere. And so what we do is we start first with black, brown, local, but specifically black, brown, women-led farms and businesses. And there's not a lot of them. And that's because there's been some significant land loss. There's so much more like history and education behind like everything that I'm going to say. So like I encourage everybody to like really dive into it. The 1619 Project through New York Times is a really great place to to start. But, But we start there because we know that these farms and businesses have unique challenges as it pertains to keeping land farming land, resources to start a business to, so we, and we will know that diversity is our strength. So what we do as a small business is say, Hey, we got you. We're coming to you first. And that does look like some unique challenges, even as a business, because when you're, when you're working with people that have additional challenges, like those challenges can then be felt by the people that they work with. But we don't shy away from that because we're all in it together. And in an act of solidarity, we, we do it and it's, we do it happily because we also feel supported by the farmers too, like when we're having a hard time. So it's really building the sense of community and getting to know the people behind the farm and behind the business. And that requires a smaller scale. There's no way that a large supermarket chain is going to be able to hold a relationship with small farms. It just doesn't happen. And that's really necessary in order for us to support our farmers is to know their story and care about it, make time for it. And so we really see the future of food access and food systems and grocery and food retail being a smaller scale and kind of bringing it back down. But there's so many challenges to that just because of economies of scale, you know, Meyer, Walmart, they're able to buy thousands of pounds of broccoli. And so they get a better deal than we're going to get on this broccoli. But, and some people don't have the, the, the privilege to say, I can spend, you know, a dollar more on this broccoli. And so we understand that. And so it, it does look like supporting small business when you can like there's no need to say you only you know shop at southeast market we we understand that's not uh realistic but we can move the dial by just doing what we can when we can and making a commitment to that at least and growing into what we want the food system to be totally totally what i was thinking about when you brought up just the challenges that can come along with supporting the people you really want to support and supporting the the farmers, the small businesses. Building community isn't always like super comfortable and everything's fine and oh this happens naturally because it's just like my natural community that's naturally around me. It's not like that all the time. We have to get out of our comfort zones. It's such a great metaphor for just life in general. If we do a couple things that are a little uncomfortable, we can make a big, we're always going to make a big impact. If we know that it's good, it's worth a little bit of discomfort to create something really Uh, meaningful that leaves a big mark on earth. And I think that also goes hand in hand with the the folks who can spending a little bit more on the food to support an awesome place. There are a lot of people right now that can do that, that don't because they're in, they're in their own habits. And I think it's amazing that we remind you, like, just if you can, right? Like just when you can, if you can make the leap, it's worth a little bit of an extra drive. It's worth like, if you have the extra cents to spare, extra bucks to spare, making a visit once in a while, because it's just, it's just contributing to something so much bigger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the way that we we know that, you know, our prices aren't as low as as we want them to be and that our neighbors require. And so one of the things that we do to address that is we have what's called a pay it forward program, pay it forward fund, and anybody can donate to that. And a lot of people have. We're, I'm so grateful to see just the the generosity 
of our community come through and like amidst economic like struggle that we're in right now too. So what we do with those dollars is we apply it to our local pastured meat. All of our meat is, is really high quality and we're able to sell all of our meat at cost to all of the customers. So there's no margin or markup there. And then we also reduce the prices of the produce that we have in the store by local black organic farms. And so I'm really looking forward to having a lot more groundswell produce at the store because last year he didn't, our groundswell didn't have the the infrastructure to grow all year, but now they, they will this year. So I'm just like really looking forward to seeing their amazing collards and bunching onions and lettuces. Like it's, it's going to be great. And so that, that pay it forward is a part of radical sharing that, that we subscribe to and that we try to empower at the market. And it's not reducing the price for the meat or this produce for a certain group of people. It's for everyone. And so there's no dignity zapping programs that you have to like explain why you deserve a better price on these items. It's just everybody benefits from the generosity of whoever decides to be a part of it. And we encourage everybody on either end, whether you're receiving or you're giving, you know, to be a part of this program. So I'm really uplifted by that. And I think that that model or just the idea and the philosophy behind it is something that we could incorporate in other spaces. Like, I want to see that policy. Like, how do we do that on a larger level? And it's like, isn't that what taxes were supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Like, are we really feeling that though? With like our defense budget so high? No, we're not. We don't want that. And we don't get an option to even... Okay, tangent. But yeah, yeah, I think that the radical sharing piece is is important. And that's how we empower the sustainability of like a lower price. But to speak into just like sustainability um, from an environmental perspective, working with small farms who implement regenerative practices and are about soil amendment and make their own compost and have this like biodynamic sort of structure of their farm. So they are growing different types of things in tandem that support each other via the microbes and uh, soil composition. So important. And most of the food that we see in supermarkets are grown in this monoculture or fields, full fields of one type of crop. And that is not how you're supposed to farm from a sustainable perspective. It depletes the earth of nutrients it reduces the integrity of the nutrient content in the in that food too. So it's harming us as people over long periods of time. And we're, we're seeing all these deficiency issues amongst humans and it's all connected. It's all connected and that's not sustainable. So just going out of your way to support regenerative farms, supporting local farms that have that grow a host of different types of items. It's so important, not just to stimulate our local economy, but also for all of our bodies. It's important for the future of earth because we're in a climate crisis right now. So yeah, we're really proud to be putting in that work at Southeast Market. Yeah. It makes me emotional to hear you talk about this because it just hits so many unseen topics that we rarely get taught about. We have to look this stuff up. We don't see it a lot. We don't see it enough in the news. We don't see it enough um, in conversations. And you're hitting all of it with Southeast Market. It's just, it's wonderful. So, and I love what you say too, just about how this works in or how this could relate to the political system that we have and the and the the other systems we have in our society like it's all important stuff to remember like there are other options for all of this and another reason why southeast market is so important with and what you're doing is so important is that you are setting an example for how our society as a whole can be in all of these other facets. So keeping in mind that it doesn't like, yes, like this is so essential to have food 
have, have food systems like this. And it's essential to have other systems like this. And it's possible to have other systems like this. And you're, you're at the forefront of this, this movement that, that I think is really catching on people. We're going through an awakening. People are, people are waking up to this and understanding that it's important. And I, I think that it's going to continue to move through other systems. That's what we're hoping for. But I believe that I, I, I do believe that and your pay it forward program. So we can go on your website, right? And donate to the pay it forward program. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have um, signed up to donate monthly and that's really helpful um, whether it be like $5, $10, like whatever you can do. But just also a reminder that if you come into the store and you buy any of that produce, you buy any of that meat, like you are benefiting from the pay it forward and someone else has helped you and you don't know who it is. And, and I think that's so beautiful too, because we really need to get in touch with receiving, even if you don't need help, but feeling the care of your community, because there's, there's so much power in receiving too. Mm. And so it's not just for the others who like need help, you know, it's for all of us. And so I think there's a, a really, uh, cool way to engage people and and get them to start thinking about in what ways do they not only give but what ways do you receive that are powerful as well totally it and that like being able to receive again it's something that we almost never hear about but it affects every part of our lives if we don't have the ability to accept any form of abundance or any form of love then we shut ourselves off from a lot of goodness in our lives. It doesn't just have to be money. It can be, it can be friendships. It can be relationships. It, it can be just good things happening in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that you're share like it's, it, this is what community looks like. You're sharing, mm-hmm. everybody's sharing it. And that's how we connect everybody. And no one, everyone feels like we're on this plane together. Like we're on this earth together. So let's act like it, you know, yeah. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Okay. So we also got a little bit into food justice as well. Did you want to add anything to just the food justice topic too? I think that, so there's, there's a lot of different layers to food justice. And I want to be clear that when I'm speaking about food justice, it's almost synonymous to social justice and environmental justice, because you can't have one of those without the other. And so when you're talking about like the basic necessities for people to thrive, we got to get into food. We got to get into housing. Like that's included in all of this. You got to get into clean air and water. Like so, so necessary should be a right to all people. But a lot of people are compromised because of the choices of other people that they have no control over. And not even just people. I want to bring in, you know, the the people behind the corporations. I'm talking about businesses too. I'm very passionate about just accountability from a business perspective because we live in a capitalist society country. And when we were talking about policy, you know, the policy isn't going to really shift until the business culture empowers it and the, or people or a lot of people are outraged, hopefully both. I think that would really like streamline us into a place where we could get some things done. And I'm hopeful, you know, now that things have changed with as far as the administration, we've got a lot of, a lot of work to do, but it starts with us. It starts with us. What are you using your dollars on and what are they, what is that supporting? Something that my grandma always said to me that really stuck with me when I was younger is, you know, your vote is, your, your dollar is a vote, excuse me. And so like, what are you voting for? And I think that's a great place for people to, to start with and kind of take stock of like what it is they're doing and is that something that they wanna be a part of and what do they have to do to vote for the future that they wanna see? And I think a lot of people, they're not aware of how complicit they are in monoculture farm or in modern day slavery, even from, through the agriculture work that's happening on certain farms, because there's, it's, it's intentional because there's so much, there's so many barriers for people to see what they are supporting. You know, you just go and you grab this, this tomato from Walmart and you have no idea what went into 
mm. getting this tomato to you. That's on purpose. They don't want you to know that mm. because then you might feel really gross about paying, you know, 80 cents for this tomato versus what it's really worth, what it should cost to pay everyone a fair wage to make sure that we're using the right soil amendments, you know, instead of just blasting our earth with poison. It, it's really just alarming. So I, I encourage everyone to start thinking about what it is, like where they spend their dollars. And if you know what you're supporting, and if not, start asking questions. As a consumer, we have like this right to ask questions and that's okay. And you don't have to hold any like guilt or shame around asking questions about what you're spending your money on and what you're putting in your body. It's okay. So I, yeah, I really want to empower that transparency in business too. And I think that it's really fun to, to be able to share that with our customers when we can. Totally. Yeah, totally. (sighs) How many of us get raised and conditioned to not ask any questions about what we're putting in our body. That's not by accident. That benefits a lot of huge businesses that do not care about our health and do not have our interests in mind. And it's just about realizing that and understanding that there are a lot of people out there on like the internet space or in person that would be so happy to answer questions about this. I am happy to answer any questions about this or refer you to someone that would know and have a better idea than I would. And uh, it just speaks to how deeply embedded this is in in our system. And now I'm trying not to go off on a tangent, but (laughs) I did also want to just mention Alita that we were talking, I was talking with another guest on this podcast, Chantel Johnson, who has a farm out in, in North Carolina. And we talked about how the energy that is put into the food or the energy that surrounds the food as it's growing is also the energy that we put into our bodies. Mm -hmm. So if you get that tomato that is linked to modern day slavery somewhere, you're putting that energy into your body. Mm -hmm. That's not good. (laughs) There's a lot of, um, I'm working more and more with energetics these days and I'm telling you it's significant. The change, putting good energy into something as it grows, even water, it makes a difference even on a molecular scale. So Mm -hmm. keeping that in mind is so important. And just another reason why, let's just think a little bit more Mm -hmm. about where we wanna get our stuff. (laughs) Totally, totally. But the, the barrier that will continue to come up as we're talking about food justice and food access is affordability and that's fair. The minimum wage, the federal minimum wage is like, is it seven something? I think it's $7, which is ridiculous. And so people are out here struggling to make ends meet. One of the ways that I'm really passionate about empowering people to still eat healthy on a budget is take stock of your food waste, because we are so used to throwing away food and we don't equate it to throwing away money, but it it quite literally is throwing dollars down the drain and it hurts the earth. And it's just, there's so many issues around food waste, but 40% of the food um, that we grow in the United States is thrown in the trash. So one way from like a personal level, take stock of how much food you're buying and how much food you're wasting and see where you can cut corners. And you might realize that you can afford to spend a little bit more on certain types of food and then buy less. That's an option. It's an option for some people. It's not an option for everyone. I understand that, especially large families. But I'd be remiss if I didn't speak into personal responsibility around sustainability and, and food waste. Yeah. And I think it just goes again back to just do what you can. And just mm-hmm. remain mindful about it. And yeah, what, what, do what you can. And yep, I don't know. I was going to say something. It, it left me, but amazing point. And so I want to get into this briefly because we were, and I think it's, the, it's a really good time to bring it up. We were talking the other week about how vegan food has a stigma of being, or you were telling me, Alita, 
vegan food has a stigma of being expensive and, and just surrounding the white, white culture. And it's just for white people, but it doesn't really have to be like that. Vegan food can be on the more affordable side. Can you speak to that? Sure. Yeah. So similar to what we were talking about earlier with the farm to table movement, kind of like missing certain demographics. I feel like that's the same situation of like vegan food culture. And something that I've noticed just as a retailer is that there's a lot of people that say that they're vegans, but what they're really interested in is processed vegan food. But if we get back to basics, so much food is vegan food. And when you talk about like traditional African diets, like that's a lot of vegan food. And so part of it is just the food culture has changed because of lack of access. So our bodies, and when I'm talking about our bodies, I'm speaking um, specifically to black and brown communities that are financially challenged and and even white folks included in financially challenged areas. We are becoming accustomed to items like Cheetos and Takis and these things that are everywhere in our community. And it's shifting the food culture because we lack access to healthy food. That doesn't mean that we don't want healthy food or that we don't want to try vegan food or fresh vegetables and fruit. It just means that the culture is starting to shift because we've been dealing with food insecurity for so long. And so that's not fair to say that it's not for us. It's just like we don't have the opportunities that other communities do as far as access to fresh food. So I, I definitely want to point that out because sometimes I hear this, this narrative that people in my neighborhood don't even want this healthy food. Well, they haven't had a chance to consider it. And so the culture has shifted. So we are working uphill against this culture shift to bring it back to the food that we eat which is okra and asparagus and crowder peas. Like that's food that we eat also that is culturally appropriate. Collard greens, black eyed peas, um, yams. Those are all vegan foods, but yeah, that's it pretty much. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's extremely important. And I think some, it, yeah, again, it's just important stuff for us to hear because I think, if we're, if we're not careful, we can get distracted from these points and they're just important. They're, they're important things to, to speak about and to shed light on. And yeah. So also then can we move into food decolonization through some people that follow you, Alita, I've been able to find just really cool posts about, Hey, try these different types of vegetables. And before I go any further with that, can you tell us a little bit about, would you like to talk a little bit about food decolonization? Sure. So part of the food culture shift that I was just speaking into is other people deciding for us what we eat. And so one of the things that I I love to do when I'm talking with children about food justice is what do you know what your grandma and your grandpa like used to eat when they were little because of our genetic ties to them. And because usually at this point, like the grandparents, what they ate was like no processed food. Like one day, like, you know, when I'm a grandma, I'm going to have to say, yeah, I grew up on ramen. That's what we were eating because the culture is shifting, you know, but but we can like bring it back. But part of that is we have to get in touch with our ancestors and what our ancestors ate. And so that is really um, a big piece of decolonize your diet because there's places like Nestle and all these other, you know, large companies that are doing all this processed food that will make you think that, you know, this is what you're supposed to be eating. But we are genetically predisposed to digest the food that our ancestors ate better than this other food because humans have been around for 200,000 years. And we've been eating things from the earth for most of that time and now we have Pringles and our body's like, are you scared? And all like gluten and everything, you know, and that's really why we're having all these sensitivities is because 
our bodies aren't used to it. Our bodies aren't used to processed food is very new. And so decolonize your diet, it really speaks into knowing where you come from, getting in touch. And even if you don't know where you come from, having uh, tried and getting in touch with your intuition about what foods feel good to you. And chances are it's going to be food that's seasonal to where you live on earth and how it grows, you know, like best at which time of the year like that's really what you're supposed to be eating especially if you're if your parents lived in the same area that you're in right now if your grandparents did like they are eating these types of foods so decolonize your diet is really taking a look at what you're eating and how it resembles the food that your ancestors have eaten and a lot of times it's it's foods that we're not familiar with seeing in the grocery store and so part of our strategy at Southeast Market is, is to incorporate some of these different types of foods that, that are in ancestral diets, but slowly and not all at once because we don't want to shock people into like, what is this sunchoke? What is okra? Like, what, we're doing it a little bit at a time. And I love, it's my favorite to see people explore and be curious about it and just give it a shot shot you know because it's it's just so much fun if, if you if you allow yourself to have fun with it and do a little research and talk to your family like it can be a lot of fun yeah and just learning more about learning more about yourself and learning more about what can be done with food and it's funny that you say sunchoke because I was thinking about 13 moons kitchen who, so the, the, the Southeast market, Alita also sells some like pre-made food. And I like that once in a while, because I usually cook so much all the time. And once in a while, I like to treat myself with something pre-made and 13 moons kitchen is an indigenous owned company that, that creates this, this beautiful food. And they are also like Alita was telling me that they were, they're also doing things like they're doing their own processing of the corn. The word processed is like a complicated word, but basically they are like treating the corn in a way that it becomes more digestible. And that was, that's really an ancient technique, right? So you're also um, linked with other food makers and kitchens that are, that are creating these practices and you can follow 13 moons on Instagram and you can see what uh, they're doing. And um, they're, they're a great follow. I, I didn't know what a sun choke was before I met 13 moons. And so we purchased sun chokes for them. And I was just in awe by, by learning from them. So I highly recommend following them on Instagram, social media or whatever, because they're just full of gems and we're really looking forward to, to working with them however we can in the future. They're doing, um, they're fundraising right now. So they're the only folks doing indigenous food that I know in Grand Rapids. So they really need our support. And additionally, like they're young folks and like really trying to, bring back some of this ancestral knowledge to the forefront. So they really deserve our support right now. Totally. Awesome. So, yeah. And we, we mentioned, we mentioned a little bit about intentional communities and radical sharing. And would you say we've covered everything about intentional community? Would you like to add anything to that? Sure. So the radical sharing and intentional community piece are definitely, they're, they're closely tied and the, the most important way and the most beneficial or way that's that's closest to my heart as far as uh, radical sharing is land back and land reparations and so in order for people to be truly self-actualized I think that having access to land and having the opportunity to grow on land is such a big piece of that. And we are so disconnected with land and earth, especially black and brown communities, people that are financially challenged that don't have intergenerational wealth to afford them the opportunity to get a patch of land to grow on. And I think that it really speaks into the future of the environmental um, justice work that that we need to do and that is being done too, because how can you advocate for the earth fully if you don't have an opportunity to connect to the earth? Like you're gonna feel more empowered to care for the earth 
if you have the opportunity to touch the ground. But we're living in these concrete jungles and there's trash everywhere and there's pollution. And like people are so connected to what the bounty and beauty of earth actually is. And so that's a piece of what separates us from advocating for her. And so land back refers specifically to indigenous people getting their land that was colonized and stolen from them and land reparations. When I'm speaking about land reparations, I'm speaking more into the black community and the, the promise of 40 acres and a mule that was never extended to us despite building this country. And so we're never going to be able to see the, the gains within social justice movements if we don't acknowledge that white privilege is inherent from having all of this access to land. And we're still dealing with all this inequity because black folks, indigenous folks didn't get their land. They don't have their land. So they don't get the chance to grow or start a business on this land or whatever they decide to do or live on this land and, you know, pour into owning it instead of paying someone else rent. So what that looks like as far as radical sharing, first, people are going to have to reckon with how they got their land. People that currently own land and occupy that space, they're going to have to reckon with the fact that they have stolen land, that like they occupy stolen land and land that is not rightfully theirs. And so similarly to pay it forward where we all need to share, maybe they empower that space to be communally owned. You know, you can still be a part of it, but like empower other folks to grow on that land too Mm. and to own it with you. And so cooperative models, I'm really jazzed about cooperative models because it speaks into this this sharing that we're not used to seeing in a capitalist society. Right now at Southeast Market, we are working with a few other food businesses to start a cooperatively owned kitchen behind the market. So we're gonna start doing some, some fundraising around that. And I'm just super excited to see something like this happen. Cause right now I don't know of any other space in town that is a cooperative. Do you know? I don't the food Grand Rapids food co-op but they have they don't have a space yet they've been really trying and I know that they'll get there one day Mm -hmm. uh, but currently there's no like brick and mortar space or even like land that I'm aware of that is cooperatively owned in the name of food justice, environmental justice. So I'm really excited about that kitchen and we're going to have standards around what type of food comes through there. Further speaking into the future of food sustainability around environmental sustainability around businesses and accountability in that way. We're going to all hold each other accountable. That's how we have to do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And like thinking about what you said about the, the people that currently own land where, you know, the way that they got land, it's not as easy for everyone to get land that way. Mm-hmm. And to, to picture farms that allow other farmers to come in and grow more crops in a thoughtful way, more to grow more different kinds of produce in a thoughtful way to have their style of farming and also to link it with, with the, the farm host. How beautiful is that? Going back to like true tight community. Like imagine if every farmer who had the means to do that did that. Imagine what this world would look like. Yeah. I mean, how incredible is that? Yeah, it is incredible. It, it, it will be incredible. We've already, I mean, people have already approached Southeast Market about growing on their land. Wow. Um, and I'm so grateful, so grateful to have the opportunity. The next step is not just allowing someone to grow on your land, but allowing them to own that land with you. So throughout history, black and brown bodies have been used to build up white land. And so we've really got to like tear down that model. And so like radical sharing means you're really 
giving them ownership and agency to grow what they want and have the not like the the understanding that they're pouring into soil that their children can enjoy or their family can enjoy or their friends can enjoy and that will keep continuing after they're gone you know like so radical sharing is is a really hard concept for a lot of us and I get it because the scarcity mindset, like our society encourages us to have this scarcity mindset and to work against each other. So we're so busy doing that. We're not seeing who's really oppressing us, but baby steps. And that could look like pay it forward. It could look like taking stock of how much food you have. Can you share some with your neighbor instead of throwing it away? Like you got broccoli this time, I'll get tomatoes next time. Like it, it looks like working together in some different ways like we got to get innovative because that's what the future requires yeah yeah amazing examples like yeah it fires me up I'm excited about that and on that on that note Alita can we continue on with this it's a it's a big one this this topic of intentional communities and radical sharing it's a big one these phrases are they're not phrases that I've heard like before the past year. And I think it's important that, that we really give you the time to, to communicate these topics because they need to be a staple in our society. And expanding on that, what, are there some other ways that we can continue on this practice in our personal lives? Like how can we continue to contribute to intentional communities and radical sharing? You gave us a lot of really awesome examples. Are there some other ways that we can get involved to help that? Are there some other, are there, yeah, are, are there some other resources that we can look into? Do you have any other suggestions about how we can just take these concepts of intentional communities and radical sharing and kind of piece it together with our lives right now? Sure. So the first thing that I would encourage folks to do as far as radical sharing goes is taking stock of, of where your where you hold influence and power and share how you feel and your thoughts and what futures you want to see in those spaces and advocate for people that are not just that not don't just look like you because a lot of us do hold more power than we give ourselves credit for and our voices do matter so taking stock of that is really important and sharing your time and energy and your care and your spirit and really pouring into that first you have to figure out what's important to you though and so like I said you know figure out what you're, what you're supporting. Is it what you want to support truly? Like really diving into all the ways that you touch your community and the world at large, and then sit with that. Is that who you want to be? Is that your legacy? Is that what you want your legacy to be? And if it's not, just start making those baby steps towards the future that you want to see. And we all can do that, no matter where you're at. And the, the biggest thing is the time is right now to make a step. It's not next week. It's not last week because we can't change the past. It's right now. Take a moment. Take a few moments. Think about where you hold power and influence, what you can do that's different to support the future that we need to see. Totally. Oh, this is cool. I love that we're talking about this as well, because it's such like when we're, we mentioned conditioning earlier on in this episode, we're also conditioned to believe that we're not powerful and we don't really hold that much influence. A couple of us are aware that we do. A couple of us think we do. And a lot of us think, well, it won't really make that much of a difference if I share this, or I don't want to bring in too much politics into this, or I don't know if I want to mix politics with my business. Look, if you have a business and you're talking about it online, you're already in the political game here. Like it's also a political stance to not say anything about big issues that are coming up. So consider, like, just consider that. And I think we fear a lot about what people are going to think. We fear a lot about getting too aggressive, quote unquote. I think for women, that's also something that we, especially that's something that we are kind of like trained to not want to do to be quote unquote aggressive. Look, we've got to just support 
people in our community, like, what do we want the world to look like? And I love that. I love that, that Alita is telling us to figure out what you're supporting and if you really want to be supporting that. So like, if you say that, that local food is important. And if, if you say that supporting black owned businesses, brown led businesses is important, then make sure that your life looks like that. <laughs> Make sure like you, like you look, you, you are a person who, who truly communicates um, with these communities and supports these communities and listens to these communities and amplifies their voices. Right. Would you agree with that Alita? Totally. Totally. So if you're saying that you're going to, you, you support local food, I think you make a great point. If you're saying that, you know, oh, local food's great. I support local food. A black owned business is great. We really need to see more black owned business. It's not just on the shoulders of black owned business to just survive. It's not just on the the shoulders of local farms to just grow food. It takes all of us and it takes us going out of our way and giving up some conveniences that we are, you know, accustomed to, to, to empower the future that we want to see. And so if you really do want to see more black owned business, you're going to have to make the special stop to the black owned business. You might not be able to get everything that you want there, but it's a step in the right direction. As I was speaking into people, empowering people to really take stock of their values and take stock of what they want to be supporting. And if they're currently doing that, I think a lot of us have to do some relearning, some unlearning, and some learning of new things. And so from my perspective, land back, land reparations is very essential if we're talking about food justice, social justice, even environmental justice. And the best way that that you can get started on that is to, to head over to the 1619 project by the New York Times, also look into other, what other intentional communities are able to do with support. So Soul Fire Farm is another one that is so um, inspiring to us at Southeast Market and really empowering Black, Brown, and female voices right now. It's time to listen to those who have been on the other side of, of power in this country and who have been oppressed in a very significant way. And so I really encourage however we hold influence and power to uplift those voices, wherever you are and they are, uplift those voices. Can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with it. Everybody (laughs) feels good. I'm going to link the 1619 project in the show notes here for us and then also Soulfire Farm. So we have our resources right there and then everyone else can continue to expand on their research as well. Alita, do you have a couple of minutes to talk a little bit more about sustainable business or do you need to wrap up? Okay. Um, Sure. Yeah. My favorite part about a truly sustainable business is getting innovative. It's, It's just so much fun. And with all the technology that we're seeing come to life, like there's just no excuse for us to continue operating in a way that damages the earth and at the level that we are right now. There's just no excuse. It's lazy. It's really lazy to not be sustainable and have a sustainable lens when you're doing business. Because not only is environmental sustainability good for the earth, it's good for business. Really, when you get down to it, we're talking about reducing your waste. And so circular economies is something that I'm really passionate about. And that is all of the aspects in which a business creates waste. It's finding a way to utilize that waste, reduce that waste, turn it into something else that then feeds community and business. And it's like, this big circle that keeps going. And we try to do that at Southeast Market where we take whatever food waste that we do have and we turn it into, well, we feed it to worms through Wormies, uh, Vermicompost company. And then they create compost and soil that we get to put on a, a community garden where we can grow more food and 
fat, higher quality food because we've got this awesome compost. And then there's no waste. That's the future. And it's easier to just say, hey, I'm gonna throw all this food in the trash, right? Instead of like, oh, we've gotta be careful about what goes into the compost. And then like, we have to put it this place and then it gets picked up. And so, you know, and it's at a different time than the trash or whatever, um, and it costs money. But what, what I don't think that we're really understanding is like, we're holding on to this, to negativity when we're adding to those unsustainable systems. So when you go and throw away a whole case of lettuce that's gone bad into the trash, I really believe that that affects your spirit. And especially when you start learning about its impact on the environment, once you know that, and it definitely will be touching your spirit. And we don't need that negativity in our life. We don't. Let's compost it and then we can feel good. We can feel better. Yeah. You know, I think that there's so many benefits to operating in a sustainable uh, way, like spiritual, like environmental, like there's, it just, it goes on and on. It just means that we have to be more innovative and not be lazy. Yeah. Every time the topic of composting comes up, I want to cry because it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's a, it's a complete natural cycle. It's what the earth is supposed to do. You eat your food and anything that you're not eating or anything that accidentally goes bad or whatever, any part of the vegetable that you don't eat, you, it, it can just go into the ground. And not only can it just go into the ground, but it makes really, really good soil that we need, that we have less and less of these days. Right. I love that you mentioned wormies because I did some research and everyone that I asked for recommendations about where I can take my compost. I live in Ada, which is a little bit outside of Grand Rapids. And I noticed there are some con there are some composting companies um, in Grand Rapids that that service just kind of that that area. So I'm like, okay, where, where am I going to take this? I don't think I can get it picked up from this house, but I like to I like to just drive my compost somewhere anyway because I can talk to the people. Blah blah blah. So Wormies was the place that everyone that everyone told me about, and that's an amazing resource for everyone to know about. I think that's all I had to say about that. But it's just super important, and I love how you describe that. I love how you describe that, Alita. Okay, so. I have a final question before we get to, you know, where we can find you, how we can continue to support you. I ask every podcast guest this, what do you think the root of health is? What do you think the baseline of health is? The root of health. I think the root of health is really centered in the dignity of earth. And so, you know, we've been speaking into all the different systems that contribute to how our food is is grown and how we get water and all of these things but if there's dignity to the earth involved in the system if it's inherent in whatever we're talking about then that directly feeds health of plants health of people health of animals and we're all connected so at any level the dignity of earth and how we treat her treat our mother is at the core of good health and, and living well. Yeah. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Alita, where can we find you? How can we support you? You mentioned so many ways, which I'm going to link everything in the show notes. Um, but is there anything that you would like to verbally suggest about how we can best find you and support Southeast Market? Sure. So if you're interested in getting uh, produce every week from us, we have produce subscriptions and it's similar to a CSA, which stands for community supported agriculture. And usually farms will, you'll buy a, a share from a farm, one farm, and you get something every week from them, a host of different items. But our produce subscription is similar, but we have different farms coming together and providing us food for, for individuals. And so you can sign up for one of those. It's 20 to $30 a week and you get fruits, vegetables, herbs, and a recipe card. And then you can also sign up for a soul to soul, which means you're purchasing one for yourself and someone else, similar to the pay it forward mentality, the radical sharing. 
And so right now, those um, additional subscriptions go to everyone on scholarship with the De La Flor midwifery program, as well as some of the residents for the Grand Rapids Housing Commission building at Adams Park. And we're looking at partnering with some other different um, buildings as well uh, to support their residents. You can donate to pay it forward as well. All of that can happen on our website, southeastmarketgr.com. You can follow us on Instagram, southeastmarketgr is the tag, same tag for, for Facebook. And yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Alita Kelly, thank you so much for joining me here. I am so honored to have you on this podcast. Thank you for teaching us so much today. It's been such a joy to have you. My pleasure. Thank you, Emily. I hope you loved this interview with Alita Kelly, founder of the Southeast Market, chair of the Boston Square Business Association, and vice chair of the City of Grand Rapids Urban Agriculture Committee. I have Alita and the Southeast Market's contact information linked in the show notes. I have also linked the 1619 Project through New York Times, as Alita suggested, so everyone can take a look at this resource and continue to research these essential topics. I have linked the Southeast Market's Pay It Forward program in the show notes if you'd like to contribute to that. And if you are in Grand Rapids, Michigan, or in Michigan in general, head to the Southeast Market and check it out or get one of their produce bundles. It's just an amazing, amazing place. You'll have a spectacular experience. And if you did love this episode, subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and review, share this podcast with your community. And if you'd like to book an intuitive body reading session with me, DM me on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening or hit the link in my bio on Instagram. I am Emily Kosick, intuitive health coach and CEO of Root Awakening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I am so, so grateful for each and every one of you. It's so beautiful that you care about the topics that we talk about here. I love that. I value that so much and it's essential for our existence on earth. It really is. Thank you for spreading the word about natural health. I love you all. Talk to you soon.